This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. In the short term, you know, before things level out, you know, maybe back to normal or people even get used to this, it's a great opportunity for retailers to just understand exactly where there may be deficiencies in website presentation, where it comes to things like product search or inventory visibility to show where these items are, are they on stock, how many are left. These are things consumers still have to this day, regardless of the proliferation of online retail. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of Retail Remix. A few weeks back, I had the chance to bring my colleagues Adam Blair and Glenn Taylor on the show with me to discuss some of the latest developments and implications of coronavirus on the retail industry. Of course, since then, a lot has happened, so I thought it would be appropriate that we bring the team back together to talk about some of the latest trends, new realities, and ways retailers can move forward. We got together, of course, digitally as part of a kickoff to our digital event, The Connected Consumer consumer series, but we thought there were so many great insights and takeaways that we'd share it with all of you listening to the podcast. So sit back. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We go in a lot of different directions, but most of all, I hope it gives you a good starting point for your plans and your strategies moving forward. So to kick things off, just a quick level set of some of the headlines that we're seeing in the uh, marketplace. I did want to share some new results from a Prosper Monthly survey around general consumer concern around coronavirus. And I think, again, this is a bit of a ripple effect with the news, the headlines that are taking place. And that's the fact that At this point, only 17.6% of adults are not concerned at all with coronavirus and the possible implications. So I think we can all safely say that it's 80 plus percent of people have some level of concern with coronavirus and, and its ultimate impact on themselves, their family, their friends, their jobs. It definitely has a bit of a domino effect, I think, in terms of mental health, well-being, and just overall mindset. And that ultimately goes into our behaviors as consumers right? Of course, we have to take care of the essentials. We have to grocery shop. We have to get medical goods, you know, baby goods. I mean, there are a lot that falls into that essentials category. So I thought it was appropriate that we kick things off by looking at the consumer sphere, right? What are consumers thinking? How are they feeling? How is this impacting the way they shop, because it does impact our businesses, right? And Glenna, I do want to kick off the conversation with you because we're looking at this through the lens of retail businesses, right? What's happening in consumers' minds and in their wallets impacts how we move forward as business leaders. I actually saw this quote from H&M's chief executive that really struck me this morning, and they saw a 46% plunge in March sales as a result of coronavirus. And she said, With the dramatic decline in the market, we have to make many difficult decisions and take forceful action. And I think a lot of executives are feeling very much the same way. I think it's transpiring in a lot of different ways too, whether it be salary cuts, obviously closing stores, furloughs. So what are you seeing from that standpoint? What are the key headlines right now? Sure. Well, in our first COVID-19 podcast, I talked a lot about the mass store closures and now they've inevitably been extended past those original end of March reopening schedules. 
we're starting to see the unfortunate results now of exactly where and how those lost sales have been affecting them. Employees, whether they're working within the store, in distribution centers, even in company headquarters, are being put on furlough due to the lack of the money that's coming down the pipeline. Like the store closures from a few weeks back, we're seeing same deal, big names, Macy's, DSW, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, Ross stores most recently, all putting their employees on unpaid leave in the interim, which is an even worse sign for many businesses that are already distressed. I think the Macy's news was the one that really brought attention to those furloughs. We're talking 130,000 plus people around. That's a significant number of people that you're having in the workforce unable to be getting paid for those next few weeks. And I guess not to you know bring more negativity into the conversation, but sadly, furloughs have been that best case scenario for quite a few retailers. Many instead are just laying off employees entirely. Everlane laid off his entire customer experience team and now is in a bit of a public squall with the CEO of the company, especially now that part-timers that were initially unionizing are trying to become full-time. So now you have employees that were laid off who were very upset. They're accusing the CEO of union busting even. It just shows that there's a human element here of what happens when a respected company is forced to make such bad decisions and really uh, you know, how this affects those individuals that are a part of it. And I know you brought up H&M earlier before. They're you know, instituting temporary layoffs that could become permanent. We have companies like Beta laying off half of their um, employees in the corporate team. You have Rent the Runway axing all of its five uh, stores, their employees. I mean, between this and even the many small businesses that you don't hear about and that you don't know much about, there's certainly plenty of people that are affected by this. I think, unfortunately, there aren't, we don't know enough at the time to make a projection for even a few weeks out of really how much this goes, but it shows what happens when they aren't really able to handle that slowdown in overall sales. And this ties in well with one of the CCS sessions that we're actually having later on in the session between our own Andrew Gaffney and Scott and all of Workforce Insights, just to the idea of Scott, he's a guy who works with many retailers firsthand on the workforce management side of things secretly. Exactly. He knows what this is about. He knows how individuals are struggling with this. He's got a keen eye for how retailers make the best working situation possible for employees, whether it's associates, managers, people on the back end even. And both of them will have the time to really address some of the ways retailers are dealing with this. And hopefully, when God willing, there's a bounce back period for many of these retailers that have had furloughs or layoffs, they can then learn from those who were essential, perhaps, and didn't have to close or those who are an essential, but had people that were um, still on, not furloughed, perhaps giving them a different position. So I think there's a lot of lessons that these companies can learn as far as just how they can go about planning those strategies uh, once the furloughs have ended or new hiring even begins. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely an area to watch because I do think that there's a bit of a loop here, right? As far as like what the implications are for the industry, because obviously those people in the stores, they're the ones who fuel that brick and mortar experience. Of course, they don't have to worry about that today, but (laughs) what's going to happen? Like, how is this going to impact the culture and the sentiment of the employees once, you know, the stores do reopen? What are going to be the long-term implications there? So it'll definitely be interesting to watch. And I think the other side of that coin is the fact that workers are consumers too. Mm. (laughs) They're the ones that also need to shop, whether it be for essential goods like groceries or even just recreationally, right? And I think a lot of people that I'm seeing sharing their experiences and, and their stories on social media, especially, they're talking about the fact that they're living from paycheck to paycheck on 
a good day on a normal day. So, you know, what's going to be the ultimate result for them because they ultimately help fuel the economy as well. And I think this ties to the bigger fact that at the end of the day, we're all shoppers. And I think we all have seen some sort of shift in terms of how we buy. Of course, we're only going to stores if we absolutely need to. We're practicing social distancing. Some are voluntarily quarantining themselves, um, you know, in the case of, you know, if they have a family member that they need to care for that is at risk in some way, but maybe we're shopping more online. I think there are these slow, you know, shifts in terms of our preferences in some places. Others, you know, it's a bit more dramatic, right? I think it does depend if we're looking at it through the lens of category, right? But I do want to look at the big picture. You know, what are the big trends that we're seeing in terms of shopper behaviors, expectations, and of course, just overall sentiment. Adam, you've been really in tune with, with some of these new realities. What do retail executives really need to know right now as the cases begin to accelerate worldwide and as the reality of the situation we're in kind of sets in. How is that shaking things up? Yeah, thanks, Alicia. And to Glenn as well for participating in this. It really ties in with what you were just saying, which is that we've seen, even at the stores that are remaining open, at the big box stores, they saw quite a jump in year-over-year traffic earlier in March. And then presumably as more social distancing regulations came into effect, or people had already stocked up and didn't necessarily need to buy dozens of rolls of toilet paper or whatever, they saw drops in the third week. For instance, Walmart saw an 18.4% increase followed by a 6.7% decrease. Costco saw a 34.7% jump in traffic during the second week of March and 8.7% drop in the third week. Dollar Tree and Family Dollar, the dollar stores, the discount stores are also considered essential retail. Their CEO went on CNBC and we we reported on that in Retail Touchpoints partly about the supply chain, but also they released data that showed the final week in March was a real drop-off for them. So I think what we're seeing is what you've already indicated. First of all, the move to e-commerce. Second of all, that people are hopefully observing social distancing where it's required. CoreSight Research, which is a great firm, released a U.S. consumer survey that was done on April 1st, so it's pretty recent. 52.6% of consumers are extremely concerned about the outbreak the choices were somewhat concerned or extremely concerned. If you combine extremely or somewhat, it's 89%. Both of those are up over the previous week. Again, not a huge surprise. The, the news has been getting worse. It's got, you know being seen in more areas. Another thing they note is clothing and footwear is in a crisis. This is seeing the greatest number of consumers who are cutting spending and the level of sales transferring to e-commerce is not yet sufficient to offset the impact of closing stores. So that's going to be an ongoing issue for anything that is not an immediate necessity. And even for things that are immediate necessities, but certainly for anything that that doesn't absolutely need to be replaced that minute or that day. We did see there's some data from Profitero about keyword search patterns and Amazon bestseller rankings. They termed it pantry panic and noted that there were 6,737 keyword searches for pasta on March 21st. Also spikes in searches for sweatpants and trampolines, home office needs like desk chairs, headsets, and monitors, and solving boredom with board games. The bestseller rank for Jenga, the game where you have to build a tower or or make sure it doesn't fall down, showed a, are you ready for this, 14,885% increase in February and March compared to January. 
Wow. Now, that either means Jenga was super unpopular before then, or people are just like, I'm so bored, and if the kids bother me one more time, I'm right. going to lose my <laughs> stuff. keep them busy, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just a few more facts that we're dealing with about the e-commerce and the delivery and fulfillment side of it, and I know that's been a big piece of our reporting and certainly people's concerns. ShipStation said that as long ago as early March, which feels like a long time ago and is about a month ago, 20% of shoppers already had had an e-commerce delivery delayed or canceled. I can't vouch for the exact accuracy of that or how they gathered that information, but even if that's a conservative estimate, even if it was 10% and that's what was happening three or four weeks ago, I think we're going to start to be seeing a real strain on the fulfillment networks. So those are the big picture sort of high level things that are happening from a consumer standpoint. People are obviously concerned and rightly so that even the stores that are remaining open are seeing some dips now that may level out. We don't know. Another thing to remember is a lot of this is also regional. We're all in the New York City area, which has been super hard hit by the COVID-19. It's less of an issue, at least right now, in other parts of the country. So that's going to affect how retailers have to deal with that. Obviously, they need to be sensitive to what's happening in their local areas. But those are the big picture items. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting nuggets there. Pantry panic. I've never heard that. And Pantry panic. You know yes. I'm a big fan of alliteration, so that, that's definitely <laughs> going to be sticking in my head. Yeah. Uh, but I did see something similar that um, the the warehouse type retailers, the BJ's, the Costco's, they've recently started to see that fall off that, you know, I couldn't even get near my Costco a few weeks ago when rumbling started to emerge. Like you said, I'm about 30 miles outside of New York City. So we were, I think, a bit more proactive in, in terms of preparing for the offset there. But you bring up an interesting point around you know, the local trends. And I think there's also a demographic nuance there too. That, that Prosper survey that I shared earlier around concern, they did break it up into a few different consumer segments. So families of the adults, people that were responsible for taking care of people, and they did see a correlation between shopping behaviors and their level of concern or panic surrounding coronavirus, which of course makes sense. If you have a newborn baby, of course, you're going to have increased concern around, do I have enough formula? Do I have enough diapers and wipes? Um, all of those essential items. If I have toddlers, you have a two-year-old at home, do I have enough of his favorite foods to be able to make it two weeks? So I definitely, I definitely understand the correlation there. But there's also a really interesting buzz emerging, I think, around e-commerce. You know, we've kind of alluded to that increase in online shopping behaviors, whether it be out of necessity or frankly out of boredom. And retailers are trying to bring their traffic to their digital properties. I'm seeing some conversations around, is this responsible of me to shop right now because there have been conversations around the safety of warehouse workers and you know just is there any risk for me personally getting packages delivered of course some 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 experts are are debunking those concerns but you know a lot of people are are thinking you know is this socially or ethically responsible of me to you know be buying dresses because they're 50% off right now given everything that's going on so i think there's going to be an interesting tug of war almost happening among consumers 
because, you know, in some ways you do need to shop for certain things to ensure that your family is cared for, that you have everything you need. But also, you know, there is the need for retailers in those non-essential categories like apparel, footwear, you know, even cosmetics. They do need to find a way to shift their business over to digital in some way. And Glenn, I want to go back to you because you've been keeping an eye on that specifically. What's happening in terms of the business shift? Is it as significant as we think it is? Does it vary by category? I'm sure I can assume that there's a bit of variance there, but I mean, you you give us the high-level look at at what's happening. Sure. Well, given that consumers are essentially forced now to shop online for non-essential items, this was the shift in shopper behavior that I feel like everyone basically expected. I know, Alicia, you were going to point out some of these numbers again in another conversation we're having in this series about how the dollars are going to digital. According to ListTrack, as of April 2nd, total e-commerce sales have jumped 28% since the federal government declared a national state of emergency on March 13th. On top of that, these are retailers that are looking to take advantage of getting in front of the consumer. They also pointed out that email sends actually are jumping slightly at 6% within that time period. So it's clear that that messaging is starting to kick up slightly from what it was, really trying to continue engaging while they're either on their laptop, sitting at home, whatever they're doing. Even on an ad spend side, they doubled ad spend from February 17th to March 9th. And it's pretty significant just given it shows that even before all the coronavirus chaos started to kick in, retailers were really taking the idea of driving traffic to those online sites very seriously. Even from a categorical standpoint, I think it's important to note that this is finally that time where companies are really flat out forced to go online. You can't ignore it. Off-price retailers in particular have just kept e-commerce kind of almost as like a side project. Having to have that experience is vital now in that realm, especially for companies like the off-price retailers that we're talking about, TJX, we're talking about Ross, even Burlington, who actually surprisingly um, decided that they were going to no longer have e-commerce operations right before all this kicked in. So it shows that these are things that when we're talking about having under 5% of sales as your online sales, clearly, I mean, where's that sales going to come from if they don't have those sites up and running and at their best? Even smaller businesses that may have never thought to build out online, whether we're talking about one with a few regional stores or even one with only a select few stores just that never decided, are going to have to consider partnering with a platform in some way if they really want to consider having consumers coming in when they're not around. In the short term, you know, before things level out, you know, maybe back to normal or people even get used to this, it's a great opportunity for retailers to just understand exactly where there may be deficiencies in website presentation where it comes to things like product search or inventory visibility to show where these items are, are they out of stock, how many are left. These are things consumers still have to this day, regardless of the proliferation of online retail. That's always still there. And yeah, I mean, just going ahead now, seeing how it is, I think, you know, forward looking, that's going to be the way that e-commerce retailers are going to have to adapt, especially from that product standpoint and from that presentation standpoint. It's really just about bringing those products in front of the consumer and letting them know that even if they are, you know, just doing a quick purchase, uh, one item instead of four items, perhaps, I mean, that's something where they're going to have to find it as quick as possible. Otherwise, they are going to end up shopping somewhere else. So Glenn, you bring up a lot of really great points, I think, and there's a lot to unpack. So I I think to your point around just the reality of the shift in retail, I mean, like you said, e-commerce is still a relatively small piece of the retail pie, but now that it's all that consumers have, it will be interesting to see if that 
trend upwards continues. Um, I actually had the chance to listen to an episode of the Pivot podcast with Scott Galloway and Kara Swisher. And they basically came to the conclusion that a lot of the trends, the trends aren't going to change is really what they came down to. It's just the pace at which the disruption happens and the retail impact, that's just going to accelerate. So really, it's it's a big moment of truth, I think, for retailers, like you said, especially those that don't have the full capabilities, have not invested appropriately in the digital experience. And I think that covers everything from the actual e-commerce website, like you said, inventory visibility, personalization, et cetera, even to digital marketing and advertising. So you referred to email sends, which of course, who doesn't want more emails? But I think it'll be interesting to see if we have brands start to implement things like social commerce. I mean, Instagram has completely eliminated the lines between inspiration and conversion. So are brands going to be testing that more? Are they going to be doing more paid advertising through social media? I know there's been some mixed results now through Facebook's advertising offerings, but you know that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. But I think you brought up a great point around small businesses. So the fact that a lot of these local shops and boutiques, they have that nimbleness, that opportunity to test and learn. I'm seeing some really interesting things come out of some of my local area businesses, which increases the need, I think, for us to support them. You know, there's one local boutique by me, uh, Sisters in Denville, New Jersey. You're probably not watching this, but anyways, (laughs) um, they're actually testing curbside pickup through Instagram. So every day they're spotlighting a new picture. Their owners are sharing photos of themselves wearing new looks. And they say, hey, like this look, comment or send us a direct message with the product number. We have curbside pickup from these hours. Come swing by our store and we'll be there to give it to you. So I think those really powerful use cases, those glimmers of creative thinking and innovation, a little bit more difficult on the big box or large retail chain scale. But I think we're even still seeing that, especially among those essential businesses. So Adam, I'm going to pivot over to you because you've covered a lot in the contactless space, which obviously we've been talking about for a while with contactless payment, the Amazon Mm -hmm. Go store, but we're seeing contact checklist fulfillment. So why don't you dig into what the new tactics or use cases are for contactless, how that goes across, you know, the different areas of retail and what the opportunities are for retailers. Yeah, that's a very good point also about the small businesses and their ability to do that. I mean, just before I dive into that, I think local restaurants are probably something that other retailers should be looking at because if they haven't had some sort of delivery mechanism, they're very quickly finding that they need to do that. And it's interesting that we're in an era when DoorDash, Grubhub, et cetera, have become sort of ready-made platforms for that. I don't have any data on this, but I would be fascinated to see if their business has picked up. I'm assuming it has in, in quite a large way. In terms of contactless pickup, what you're talking about with curbside pickup or the ability to bring things to the front of the store when people come by, the first Big companies to do this, I believe, were Dick's Sporting Goods and Best Buy. Best Buy originally was keeping its stores open and allowing people to social distance even as they were inside. They were considered they are considered essential retail because they provide office supplies and the connection equipment that we're using right now. But they have both gone to a curbside pickup model. The other big one is Kroger, the huge, huge supermarket chain that operates under a ton of different banners. They, I believe it was on, they announced on March 27th 
that they were going to have a pickup only store. This makes sense from a lot of points of view. It allows fewer people to be working inside the store, so it makes social distancing more possible. And it allows them to get the online orders that are ordered to the curbside more quickly. This ties in with some trends that we were already seeing, which is the growing popularity of buy online, pick up in store, or BOPIS. The last mile survey that we just published last week indicated that among the respondents, 37% were offering a BOPIS option that's up from 29% the previous year. And that may even be an understatement. So I think we're going to continue to see, see that. The other thing is the Kroger store it becomes, in essence, a model for what we'd call a dark store or a micro-fulfillment center. And uh, Chris Walton, who's a very sharp observer of the industry, has said he believes, my, this is before coronavirus, but he said he believes micro-fulfillment centers are going to be one of the key trends of 2020 going forward. And again, it makes sense. The other key finding from the last mile survey that you indicated, Glenn, was I believe it's 67% of retailers, the store is now the final spot where product is before it goes from the retailer to the consumer. That's really remarkable when you think about that e-commerce has traditionally been a dropship or it's been its own separate channel. Uh, it really shows how much the store has become integrated into the whole fulfillment process. I just want to bring up something that our colleague Brian Wassel, who reported on this in some more depth recently, brought up, which is the safety factor for the people actually making the deliveries. Not only are they potentially coming into contact with dozens or even hundreds of people on a daily or weekly basis, but there's the possibility that they might spread the coronavirus if they're not showing symptoms. So I think this is something retailers and everybody who's doing delivery is going to have to address immediately, if not sooner. I believe the job action at the Amazon warehouse in Staten Island was only partially about money. I think a lot of it was also about, were they getting the safety equipment? Were they getting the protection? Were they getting you know the capability to still operate in this environment, but with some modicum of safety? And Alicia, I just want to really come back to a quick point that you had made way earlier about whether it makes sense, I guess, morally or ethically to shop online if it's not for something you absolutely need, it's a tough question. Retailers want their businesses to keep going, and people do need to shop. And as you say, it can help your mental health. I'm wondering, and I haven't seen anything about this yet, if retailers are going to start to say, we won't let you order just one or two items. If you're going to order something, you have to order five or six so that it's a full box. This is something that first started with questions about sustainability, all the packaging that's used to deliver, you know, one tiny item looks like, you know, packing peanuts or cardboard is more than bigger than the item. I'm wondering if retailers are going to start to have to do that and make some kinds of restrictions there. But this is a fascinating topic. I think it's one that's going to be something we're going to be keeping a very close eye on for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I love that, Adam. A lot of really great points there. And I think, like you said, as the spread is tamed, as the curve lowers, and again, we're at this point where we don't know <laughs> where this is going or what that timeline looks like, but it'll be interesting to see, again, what trends maintain momentum, what tactics become the benchmark 
or the table stakes for success and how that will impact our areas of focus. So I think this has been a fantastic conversation. So thank you both so much for uh, taking the time out for the thoughtful commentary, the great examples. Again, I think this is a conversation that as we get deeper into this, there are going to be so many layers, so many great lessons learned, and dare I say, even success stories. I know this is definitely not um, a a super positive uh, situation, but we have seen some some glimmers of uh, innovation and positivity to come out of this. So thank you both so much for taking the time. And uh, thanks everyone out there for watching. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.